Fantastic. So welcome everybody to our uh, six out of eight sessions of Joseph and Jacob with Rabbi David Silver. Um, we're so happy to be back with you this morning or evening, depending on where you are. Um, as you come into the Zoom room, I will invite you to become a panelist. That just means you can choose to put on your camera if you like. We can see your wonderful smiles. Um, and it means that when Rabbi Silber invites comments and questions, you can unmute and ask yourself. Um, you're also very welcome to put your comments and your questions in the uh, chat. If you're joining us on uh, on Facebook Live, we just ask that you put your, your comments, your questions in the Facebook comments, and I will bring them to the Zoom. Um, when you're not speaking, um, please keep yourself on mute so that we can all hear each other and it just minimizes background noise. Um, I will be sharing the sources on Safaria, um, but you are very welcome and encouraged to follow along in your own Tanakh or your own Safaria. Um, and with that, over to Rabbi Silva. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, we're up to chapter 45. The previously, uh, last week we saw that this is Yehuda's great speech to Yosef, offering himself as a uh, replacement for Binyamin, his brother. And um, he explains to Yosef the reason. He says, because I made a commitment to my father, our old father, whom Yosef seems concerned about. And uh, if in fact, Binyamin is remaining in Mitzrayim with Yosef, it will cause the death of, of our father. There's even a suggestion it might cause the death of Binyamin. The two are inseparably linked. And that's the gist of his argument. And then he says at the end, and I myself uh, am the guarantor, the Arev, Abdecha Ravatanar, and therefore it's appropriate that I stay instead of Binyamin as, an, as, a, as a slave, as your servant. And that's Yehuda's great speech. And he ends with, um, once again, focusing on his father, the last verse, How can I go back, he says, to my father, and the young boy, that's a term that the Torah has used several times for Yosef himself, lest I see the evil that will befall my father. So the last word is father. That seems to be the focus of Yehuda. Somehow he picked up on the fact that Yosef, for whatever reason, doesn't know it's Yosef, but seems very concerned about the old father. Is he still alive? And Yehuda, in fact, says, you won't be alive if we keep Binyamin here. And furthermore, he also picked up on the fact that for whatever reason, Yosef and his proxy, the man he stands after the brothers, uh, don't, uh, don't want anybody to die. Because initially when the brothers said, whoever, whatever, with whomever the goblet is found should die and will be slaves. And the fellow says to them, no, no, uh, the one that took it will be a slave. And the rest of you can go back in peace. So uh, obviously for whatever reason, Yosef doesn't want anybody to die. He's slavery, yes, and death, no. That's a theme that will be occur later on. And actually, it's a theme that we encountered with Yosef himself. Because initially, when the brothers see Yosef, they conspire to kill him. Then Ruben says, let's not kill him with our own hands. Let's throw him into the pit. He'll die in the pit. The pit has no water. But, um, 
but uh, he, uh, but then he's picked up from the pit, and then the brothers discuss whether or not to sell Yosef. Yehuda says we can't kill him. In, in fact, we are killing him. Uh, let's rather uh, sell him as a slave. And then, of course, he is sold as a slave. Whether they did it directly themselves or not is a good question. The simple reading of the text suggests they didn't actually sell him. Um, in any event, so there you have a distinction between killing and, and, and slavery. And the brothers seem to at least hear, if not accept, Yehuda's argument that we shouldn't be the ones, we shouldn't kill our brother. So Yosef, a similar theme occurs with Yosef as well, for whatever reason. He doesn't want anybody to die, he says, just to be a slave. That's the great speech of Yehuda. And now we have, it's a long speech, and now we have another long speech, <laughs> this time of Yosef, in response to Yehuda's speech. So we'll look at the long speech of Yosef, and of course we'll also notice differences between Yehuda's speech and Yosef's speech. So this is chapter 45. Let's begin. Joseph could not, he couldn't contain himself. Uh, in front of all the people that were standing in front of him. He cries out, calls out. Remove all people from before me. So no one stood before him when Joseph Hitzvada made himself known to his brethren. Here in this verse, I think you can read it two different ways. In other words, he could not contain himself. Um, the question is, does he want to contain himself? When someone can't contain themselves. Sounds like Joseph is struggling. In other words, there's a piece of Joseph that wants to contain himself, that doesn't want people to know that he in fact is Joseph. But on the other hand, he calls, he's going to say in the next verse, I am Joseph. I guess one of the questions we can ask here, when it says <laughs> he could not contain himself before all those that stand before him, does that mean that he wants to tell the brothers, he's committed to telling the brothers now? That's not a question. He doesn't want to do it publicly. He doesn't want everybody to know. Well, does it mean he can't contain himself that he doesn't really want anybody to know? He's still struggling as to whether or not to tell, to reveal his true identity as, as Yosef. Now this pasuk over here, and he's about to cry out, I am Joseph. So we re already remember that there's been a progression over here in terms of Joseph and his crying, because the first time Joseph cries in conjunction with the brothers is when he hears the brothers talking to each other after he's accused them of being spies. He hears the brothers saying, why is this happening to us? It's happening because uh, we're guilty concerning our brother. Because we heard his, his supplication but we didn't hear that is to say we didn't pay attention to it. We didn't re re react to it. And when Joseph hears the brothers saying to each other, other, we are guilty. And then Ruvain speaks up. I told you not to do it, says Ruvain. I told you not to harm the boy. You didn't listen to me. You didn't listen. 
And when Joseph hears this, he turns aside and he cries. He doesn't leave the room. He turns aside. Um, let's find that particular verse. In chapter 42, it's verse number 20, 24. He turns aside from them and cries. So he's not walking to a different room, but he cries because he hears that actually some of them, they all feel guilty. And that in fact, it was a disagreement as to whether to harm him or not. Ruben claims, I told you not to do it. Now Ruben didn't exactly say that, but that's what he says. And now he says, and now his blood is being sought. That is to say, we are being, this is happening to us in response to our, what we did to Yosef. That's the first time he cries in conjunction with the brothers. The next time he cries in conjunction with the brothers is in the previous chapter, it's when he meets Binyamin. Binyamin comes down, uh, that's actually in chapter 43. He sees Binyamin in chapter 43, verse 29. Um, and he says, is this, your, is this the younger brother, Mike? Is this your, your brother? He says he saw Benjamin, his brother from his mother, Joseph does. Is this your younger brother? And he gives him a blessing. And then in verse number 30, Joseph hurried. Because he was, uh, he had overcome with feelings towards his brother. He was on the verge of tears. He was going to cry. So he goes to a room, a separate room, and he cries there. So, so you see there already he's, has to leave the room altogether. He can't be in their presence. He has to rush out to a different room. And now we have the third time that Joseph will cry. This is This time he can't actually contain himself. There's no time to run to a different room. All he can say is to have some kind of privacy. So he says, everybody should leave. And Everybody except the brothers leave. But once again, one can raise the question as to whether Joseph, you know, really wants to reveal his identity, but is overcome, uh, or doesn't want to reveal his identity, but is overcome. He can't, he can't, uh, he can't help himself. So this is again, and this is what's unusual about the Joseph story. There's a sense of, a real sense over here of the inner feelings of, of this character. That Joseph, on one hand, is the one who's seeking his brothers, as he said when he was first sent to find his brothers. He seeks his brothers. On the other hand, he named his son Menashe, where he said forgetfulness. I want to forget my, my, my troubles and all of my father's house. So we really have this conflict. And there were good reasons, apart from the fact that his feelings towards his family and his history with his family. There is another reason I want to just put out there right now that revealing his identity to his brothers may become problematic for Joseph. And that is that Joseph is Joseph, as far as Egypt is, is concerned, he's an Egyptian. Safnat Paneach, dressed like an Egyptian, he's married to the priestly family of Egypt, etc. And when the brothers come down to Mitzrayim, this may create, and in fact will create, some problems for Joseph because Joseph might now be seen as having a loyalty towards his family 
which is contradictory to being an Egyptian. This, in fact, will, will happen, as we'll see later on, not today. In any event, this, this verse is very striking. Anyway, uh, there was no one except the brothers there. When Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Let's read a couple more verses, then I'll stop and take some comments or questions. And Joseph cried out loud. He can't contain himself. So all of Egypt, Mitzrayim, Egyptians, and also the house of Paro heard the cry. So he can't actually get the sense over here that he had wanted minimally to reveal himself to the brothers alone, but that can't happen because he's so overcome, again, this inner turmoil of Joseph, that when he cries out so loud, everybody hears, not just his brethren, his brothers, but also the house of Paro as well. Now we have the revelation of Joseph to the brothers. I'll take one more verse. So Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? This is a question that Joseph had asked earlier. Um, yes, for example, in chapter 43, verse number um, 27, when the brothers come down again to Egypt, he, Joseph inquires of the welfare and the shalom of the brothers. He said, And Joseph said to them, uh, is your old father, is he well? The one that you spoke about, is he still alive? Over here, Joseph says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The brothers can't answer because they are shocked. They're just shocked, amazed and shocked. Here the question we can ask is a fairly obvious question, which is, what do you mean is my father still alive? He asked that question in chapter 43, verse number 27, was it 27 or 28? Verse 27, and they said, yes, shalom, we have the chal, we odenu chai, and they bowed down. They haven't left Egypt since then. Since they leave then, since that story, they've been in Mitzrayim. They eat with Joseph. He puts the goblet in the sack of Binyamin. They brought back to Joseph. And we have the long speech of Yehuda. So they haven't left Egypt. So in chapter 43, Joseph asked the question, basically, is my father still alive? To which they said, yes. So why is Joseph asking here in chapter 45, verse number three, it just told them previously that our old father is alive and they haven't left. So what is the point of the question? That's his first question. So the point over here is the following, in my view, which is that Yehuda's speech, Joseph's revealing of Joseph to the brothers follows Yehuda's speech. Yehuda's speech had one main point, which is he never argues for the innocence of Binyamin, never bothers, never goes there. Makes a different point. He says, you, Joseph, 
have an interest in my in our old father and his brother. Um, and uh, yes, let me explain about the brother and the, and, and the father. They are linked together. Nafshol kishuvah And if in fact you keep in Yemen in Mitzrayim, our father will die. And you don't want our father to die. You keep asking, oh, is he alive? So you're interested in being alive. But let me tell you something. If we keep Binyamin here, he won't be alive. That's the main argument of Yehuda. And I would add that he even suggests that maybe Binyamin can't survive without his father. The two are linked, inseparably linked, and he explains why. But his point is, and the point of the story is that Binyamin in the story stands in for Joseph. The description of Binyamin in Judah's great speech is exactly the description of Joseph. Starting with Ben Zikunim. Binyamin is a Ben Zikunim, and Joseph was described as the Ben Zikunim. Binyamin is the child that's born to his wife, the one, his wife, his wife had two children, and, and the other, one, is, one is Joseph and one is Binyamin. So the point is, and the power of Yehuda's speech is such that what Joseph is asking is, given the fact, this powerful speech, that without, if Binyamin is not with our father, he can't survive. And since Binyamin stands in for Joseph throughout the entire narrative, so now Joseph asks the question, how old are Is he really alive? Because given everything you've told me, that the father can't survive without Binyamin, Maybe the father can't survive without Joseph, given the fact that Joseph and Binyamin are presented essentially as being virtually identical. So the question, the power of the speech is, okay, I know what you told me before, but now that I've heard your speech, tell me, is my father truly alive? That's, I think, that's the power of the speech. It actually creates a picture which may or may not be a reality, but it creates its own reality. And therefore the question, and of course the brothers can't answer. They're so amazed and shocked they can't answer. This would dispel any thinking that the brothers somehow know that it is Joseph. The brothers do not know that it's Joseph. And why would they imagine that a Hebrew slave would become the viceroy of, of, of Egypt? It's the result of a very complicated series of events and Joseph's ability to decipher dreams and Joseph's ability to find himself standing before Paro, which became possible only because Joseph ended up in jail. Everything that happens to Joseph, in a sense, uh, is leading up to where Joseph is. Even things that appear at the time to be very negative, such as being cast into a pit which has no water. And um, of course, have no water means you won't drown in the pit. That is true. If the pit is filled with water, you will drown there. So Abarek and Bomayim on one hand means he can survive. On the other hand, if he's not pulled out of the pit, he also will die for lack of food. And then he's pulled out of the pit by passerbys and sent down as a slave to Egypt. So being thrown into the pit, it turns out in retrospect, was positive. That's what the Medrash picks up when, they, when Joseph is coming. And they say, well, let's kill him and throw him in a pit. And let's see what becomes of his dreams. And the Medrash says that let's see what becomes of his dreams. It's a Medrash. It's not stated by the brothers. It's stated by God. 
God says, oh, really? Let's see what becomes of his dreams. And the point, of course, is that's the throwing him into the bar, which allows Joseph to get to Egypt, which allows him to begin his, 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 his story of moving towards positions of power within Egypt. The bar is a positive step for Joseph, it turns out. And so was the second bar, which is the Beit HaSoar. As Joseph said, but without being in the bar, because of the Potiphar business, he never meets the Saramashki. He never meets the Saramashki, he never gets the power. And if the Saramashki forgets Joseph, Joseph, please get me out of here, says Joseph. And the Saramashki doesn't remember Joseph. Terrible thing. No, it's a good thing. Because if he remembers him right away, Joseph gets out of jail and who knows where Joseph is. But this way, he's still in jail. So the Saramashki says to Paro, in jail, there was this Evid Ivory who could interpret dreams, my dreams and the baker's dreams. <laughs> so Paro knows where to send. They send the message to the jail and they rush him out of jail. So the story of Joseph is a complicated story and things that appear to be negatives and they are negatives in a certain sense, obviously, but they all turn out to be positives. So there's no way in the world who could imagine such a crazy thing that the, that the younger brother, the slave with crazy dreams, turns out to be the viceroy of Egypt. And therefore, they're shocked. They're shocked. They don't know what to say. They're dumbfounded. They can't speak. Now, let me stop here for a moment and take comments or questions, if there are comments or questions. And Laszlo has a hand up. Would you like yeah. to? Could it be that uh, there is this great distance uh, between them at the present moment that Joseph is, is moved to speak about what is common to them, which is their father? Uh, he's reminding them that they are of the same origin, the same place that they come from. It's a way to reach out to them. Yes, I like that point. It's a good point. It's not contradictory to what I said, but it's a very good yeah. point. It's a way of, because the answer is a question. Um, yes, of course, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Some, some point of connectedness because uh, they're in different worlds, as we saw earlier. You know, they don't recognize, Joseph recognizes them. We are told at the beginning of the story and they don't recognize him. But the reason is clear because they basically, from the narrative standpoint, are the same shepherds that Joseph encountered earlier. So he, can, he recognizes them perfectly well. Apart from the fact that there are 10 of them. So even aside from that, the point is they are basically the same people. But Joseph has gone through some incredible shifts and changes, different identity, night and day. So they don't recognize him. So yes, he's trying to find the point of tangency. That's a very good point. And the father is a point of tangency because Yehuda has just expressed in his speech a deep concern for, 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 for his father to the degree that he's willing to make himself a slave forever to make sure that his father survives. The old man lives on, etc., and to keep his promise. So Joseph's Odavichai is a way to connect to, uh, to Yehuda's speech and to find that point of connectedness which then could begin to repair this, uh, you know, the, the breach that obviously exists between Joseph and his brothers. It's a good point. Uh, anybody else?
Yes. All right, so let's continue. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Okay, fine. Let's continue. There's nobody else, right? Okay, so let's continue. Verse number four. People who have a comments, they can just unmute themselves. Okay. I can hear you. Good. Okay, good. So Joseph says in verse number four, first they just can't speak, they're dumbfounded. Now Joseph begins a long speech. The first thing he says is, Come close to me. That's how the previous speech started. I mentioned last week that by Yigash, to draw near, to draw close, often carries with it a sense of trying to be connected, trying to, trying to be closer. And that's what Joseph says, come close to me. You can see them like standing back and be out of shock. Come close. And of course, the place that Joseph will ultimately want his brothers to settle in is the land of Goshen, the land of closeness. So we have by Yigash of Yehuda. Now Joseph says, says Joseph, I am Joseph, your brother, that you sold to Egypt. Now, the point is, he's telling them on one hand, I'm familiar with the story. Nonetheless, I'm the one that you sold unto Egypt. So those that believe that the brothers actually sold Joseph, because that's one view. Rashi, the Midrash has, that the brothers actually sell Joseph. He hasn't said the Midianites, but the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, perhaps are the same people, etc. that the brothers actually did the sale. They, they, they can rely on this verse. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. The Rashbam, who believes the opposite, that uh, the brothers did not, in fact, sell Joseph. But he says, I'm Joseph that you sold to Egypt. He says that you caused, you caused my sale. It's also possible, by the way, that Joseph doesn't know that the brothers weren't behind the sale. How would he, how would he know that? Maybe the brothers contracted with these midget. All Joseph is in the bottom of a pit. He can't see anything. People draw, draw him out of the pit. So Joseph can't know whether the brothers actually did the sale or are the cause of the sale. But in effect, they are, according to the Rashbam, the cause of the sale. If he's not in the pit, he doesn't get sold. Now, by the way, I just want to point out that if the brothers don't sell Joseph, in other words, the sale of Joseph is not, in other words, the sale of Joseph, which is not clear whether the brothers did it or not, is not intended, in my view, to make the brothers look better. In other words, the fact of the matter is, if they don't sell him, he dies. The two alternatives in the Joseph story are either Joseph dies in a pit because there's no water, or in fact, uh, he will be sold. So the sale of Joseph per se, is of course better than leaving him in the pit. On the other hand, if the brothers don't actually sell him, but rather he's picked up in the interim by other people, and we don't even know if the brothers necessarily intended to sell him. All it says is that when Judah speaks, by Yishma'u Echav, the brothers heard. Now, sometimes the verb Shema 
has many meanings. It can mean to hear. It can mean to accept. So the point is, according to Rashi, that the brothers actually sold them, Rashi says, the brothers accepted. Rashi has to say that because they did sell them, according to Rashi. But if they didn't actually sell them, but he was sold in the interim, and it's not necessary to conclude that by Yishmu'u Echav, that the brothers accepted it. Maybe they heard what Judah says, they're thinking about it. And in the interim, someone else picks them up and someone else sells them. So again, there's no conclusive proof from this particular verse that the brothers actually did sell them. And the point of the Rashbam is whether they actually sold them or not is not important for, this, for the Rashbam. You're responsible because you set up the possibility. And in fact, you said it even the worst possibility. So one way or the other, we can read the verse either way, I think. They actually did sell him or they caused this sale, or they made possible the sale. And that's another possibility. Okay, so now Joseph continues to speak. This is a long speech. As we Rabbi, do this, yes. Uh, one, hi, it's Sandra, just one yeah. point before you go, go into the speech. So if you're saying that um, on, the two, on the two poles of yes, they did, uh, cause uh, sell him or they caused his sale. Your point about responsibility is, and I guess that's Rashbam's also. I mean, that should be primary, shouldn't it? Because isn't that the isn't that the byword of this entire event? I mean, uh, Yehuda took responsibility. I am the Eiravon. He finally stepped up here, which is, as you said eloquently, um, uh, Tamar his Rebbe taught him that lesson. So it's the lesson, the the primary lesson of this entire uh, um, wow saga um, is standing up and taking responsibility, then, then the Rashbam explanation and yours that you just uh, agreed to is, is that it's whether or not they actually sold him, they, uh, they have to accept the responsibility for it. And that's, yeah, well, and that's why agree. Joseph says, Asher he, to him, it's the same thing, whether he knows or not that he was, right. to him, it's the same, the same effect, stand up and bear responsibility. Right, I agree. It's, it's, it really doesn't matter whether they actually did it or not. They're responsible one way or the other. Uh, yeah, agreed, 100%. We total agreement on that. Um, okay, so Joseph continues now to speak. He, it's a long speech. Now, this is actually a very interesting question over here. Joseph says, now, don't be, don't be distressed and don't get angry. Now, the combination of distress and anger, um, we had that earlier in the Torah, in the story of Dina. The brothers, when they hear about Dina, we're told they are very, very, say, very, very upset, very distressed, and also very angry. And that led to bloodshed, that led to conflict. Um, it's not clear over here what Joseph has in mind. Don't be upset, distressed, or angry, because that often leads to violence. Uh, I don't believe, though, that Joseph is concerned that some Russian think that the brothers may attack Joseph. These are strangers in the land of Egypt, in the gigantic land of Egypt, who are essentially powerless. There's no sense they have any power. Maybe Joseph means something else. Joseph has heard already that the brothers had disagreements about what to do. Ruven spoke up and said, I told you not to do it, which is why Joseph takes Shimon as the hostage, son number two, as opposed to son number one. 
He knows that Judah, it would appear, uh, you know, perhaps also, he doesn't know for sure, but Judah's speech suggests that maybe he's someone who has some sense of responsibility for a brother, which he did have some sense of responsibility for a brother. He says, you don't kill your brother. He didn't say you don't sell your brother. So maybe what Joseph is getting at over here is the use of the stress and anger combination, which is always ends up in violence. In fact, Cain is also that way. Torah uses similar terms with Cain when he, God did not accept his He was very angry, his face fell, presumably distressed, and that leads to the killing of his brother. So maybe what Joseph is concerned about over here is not so much they're going to attack Joseph, they have no power to attack Joseph. Maybe he's concerned about something else. They shouldn't attack each other because that could easily happen. But there were deep, there were deep disagreements about what to do with Joseph. But Joseph says, don't, don't, don't be distressed, don't be angry that you sold me here. This is a very important pasuk. It says a lot about Joseph. Because God, Elohim Shrachani, sent me before you to bring life, to sustain life, to save life. And this is actually a very interesting question in the Joseph story in general. Now, what Joseph is saying is, and he repeats this uh, more than once, that you may have thought X, but God had a different plan. The term he uses actually is, in terms of the brothers, he uses the word mechartem initially. You sold me here. But when he talks about God, he uses the verb shlachani, God sent me here. This is part of a divine plan, says Joseph. That's what Joseph is all about from, from the very beginning. Joseph understands himself as being part of a divine plan. The question is, and this comes up at the very end of the book as well, in chapter 50, when Joseph says, listen, you did a terrible thing in selling me, but this is part of God's plan. Therefore, I'm going to forgive you. And this raises a very interesting question in general about, I intend to do something bad, but it turned out good. But that wasn't not my intention. I had bad intentions. But then it turned out good. Does this necessarily sort of get me off the hook? Do I then say, well, since it turned out well, okay, so I did nothing wrong. Now over here, it's quite extreme. They sell, selling your brother for money is the capital crime in the Torah. Joseph says it doesn't matter because, because God had God's plan. We'll come back to this again. This is actually an extremely interesting question that comes up in different settings within that tradition. But that's what Joseph says. He's going to repeat this theme as well. He continues, For two years of famine have passed. They raised two years of famine. They're going to be five more years of famine. There'll be no reaping, there'll be no harvesting. In Harish Bikotir. And now he repeats it. And God has sent me before you to ensure Shevit, your survival, that you can still survive, a remnant of you will survive in the land. And to enable you to prosper or to survive and have a great uh, have a have a great deliverance. Now he continues, Viata. So now. You didn't send me here. But rather God sent me here. 
Umoshel Bukhar Eretz Mitzrayim. So that verse number, uh, verse number eight has two parts. The first part of verse number eight, he makes it an even more striking statement. You didn't actually send me here, he says. You're just part of God's plan. God sent me here. You didn't send me. Three times the God, God has sent me here. Um, it's rather amazing when you think about it. And again, it raises the question about whether this necessarily exculpates the brothers. The brothers did cause his sale or maybe they even sold him. But says Joseph, no, you didn't do that. You're just part of a bigger plan. Now, it certainly is true that, um, that this is God's plan, because we know that God has a plan that the Jewish people will have to undergo, the covenantal people will have to undergo Gerud, Abdut, and Inuit. And this is where that's going to happen. Mitzrayim will be the place of Gerud, Abdut, and Inuit. Um, and in fact, the idea that God has sent, has sent us down to Mitzrayim um, we have this, um, let's find that we have it earlier when, when um, well, we have it ready when Joseph is being sent to find his brothers. It's so that Yaakov tells Joseph to find his brothers by Yeshua He sent him from the valley of Hebron by Avosh Hebron in verse number 37. And then some, some Ish, some mysterious person says, finds Joseph wandering, he's lost. What are you searching for? Searching for my brothers. No, he's left. And Joseph, they've gone to Dotan. And Joseph goes, tries to find his brothers in Dotan. So in a certain sense, this Ish, who represents God, presumably, this mysterious Ish, is sending Joseph to Dotan, which means sending Joseph out of the land, <laughs> sending Joseph to the place Dotan, the place of quarrel or trouble, from which he will end up in Egypt. So this is Joseph, but here you have, it's interesting, here you have really different philosophy that Joseph expresses, that this is all part of a divine plan. It's almost as if Joseph is saying, it's not necessarily your fault because this has to happen anyway, sort of foreknowledge and free will. There's no choice. This is God's plan. And you are simply part of God's plan as I am part of God's plan. That's what Joseph says. It raises some very interesting moral questions, I think. That's what as point number one. And then the second point I wanted to make is the second half of verse number eight. This is a wonderful speech. The speech really says you a lot about the person making the speech. So the second half of the speech is, the first half is you didn't send me here. This is a divine mission. And then Joseph, part, verse number eight, part two. Vayisimeni la'avri paro uliadon v'chobeto and Rabbi Silver, Rabbi Silver, the 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 idea of of paro, it was the inflated side of him once again. As the time he went out to look for his brothers, he was the son in the the proverbial son in the palace, actually. But he said, "I was the of uh, to the adon." Right, yeah. agreed. So the point over here is, the question is when Joseph describes himself now. I'm the Av, I'm like Paro's father figure. Remember when he was paraded around Egypt, they said Avrech, whatever Avrech means. It's like curious, Avrech. Um, I'm an Av to Paro. I'm a master of his house. I'm a ruler over the land of Egypt. 
That's the way Joseph sees himself. And in point of fact, to pick up on Rosie's comment, the fact of the matter is, well, there are two points. The first question would be, is this actually true? Is he actually an Avla Paro, an Adon Luchal Beito, and a Moshe Bukhal Eretz Mitzrayim? There's no doubt that he has enormous amount of power, that he's created through Egypt, they bow down to him, he's in charge of the food, and all that is true. But, but, the point is, he's, he has all that power because as Paro said, I need Paro. I am Paro, and no one is greater in Egypt than, than you except for me. But in point of fact, um, in point of fact, uh, the, uh, the uh, power of Joseph is contingent on Paro. The moment that Paro doesn't need Joseph anymore, suddenly Joseph will find himself with zero power, none power whatsoever. And what's interesting over here is the speech of Joseph about his, the way he sees himself. And Av Paro and Adon Lucho Beito and Moshe Bechert Yisrael has a very striking parallel to the speech that Joseph makes to Mrs. Potiphar. When Mrs. Potiphar propositions Joseph in chapter 39 and Joseph responds. And the response is very interesting because it picks up on all the sides of Joseph, the big positives and also the problematic side. Because Mrs. Potiphar said, Shechvayim, sleep with me, that's in chapter 39, verse number seven. Vayimayim, Joseph refuses. Vayomro eshet Adonah, he said to his, to his master's wife, Hein Adoni, look here, she says, my master, lo yoda itim mababayit, v'chol asheyeshlo notan biyodi. My Lord Potiphar, doesn't know what I do in the house. And all that he has, he has placed under my control. Now, of course, that's exactly what she's thinking. She sees Joseph rising to power. She sees it, verse number six, that Potiphar has abandoned everything into Joseph's hands. And she says, let's get together. And it's, what he says to her is, well, look, he says, he doesn't know what goes on in the house, implying that she probably hears it, he doesn't know what goes on in the house, so we'll never know what happens between us. Then he says, he, and everything is placed into my hand. She's probably nodding her head. That's right. You essentially replace it. Then in verse number nine, there's nobody greater than me, he says. The only thing, I, I have everything. The only thing I don't have is you. And she's nodding away. That's right. You've taken everything except for me. So let's complete the deal. But my point is, then he says, but how could I do this? It would be wrong. Now, the point is you can read the speech in many ways, but one, one way to read the speech is, the bottom line is he says, no, by my aim, it's a great moment for Joseph. But the question is how he actually sees himself. And in point of fact, he sees himself as there's nobody greater than me. I can do whatever I want, et cetera, et cetera. And a few verses later, he finds himself in, uh, in uh, jail. So how much power did he actually have? In other words, his master doesn't care about anything except the lechem. But it turns out that in the, the narrative of Joseph, the lechem is the critical piece. Paro has bad dreams because he had to execute the man in charge of the lechem. So my, the, question, the point over here I'm making about the speech of Joseph is, and what is different than Judah's speech. Judah says, take me as a slave. What Joseph, in the long speech of Joseph, 
and why we need a long speech here is a very good question. But the fact of the matter is, he talks a lot, and he, you get a sense of how he sees himself. That is, it's all for the best, he says, because look at me, look how important I am. But in point of fact, one could make the argument, I think a strong argument, that Joseph has a very bad understanding of his actual power. He has power because he's useful to somebody, to the people in power. But when the moment they don't need you, you're gone. And um, it's one of the many themes of the Joseph story that Megillus Estepik picked up on in terms of Achashverosh. If he needs you, or he thinks he needs you, to have a lot of power. And the moment he has, doesn't need you anymore or suspects you in the slightest, you're out of there, you're finished. And the Megillah picked up on it. So over here, we have Joseph talking about himself. And of course, I would argue that it is uh, a uh, incorrect assessment of his own position in the land of Egypt. He's trying to tell the brothers, it's all for the best, which is very nice. But the fact that he emphasizes the Av, the Adon, the Moshel, this is, this is a question, it's a problem. Let me stop here for a moment. If there's any comments or questions, I'll take them and then we'll finish the speech. Rabbi, can I ask something? Of course. Um, you, what Joseph said, Joseph could have taken it in two different ways. He could have said, you were bad. You tried to do terrible, terrible things for me, but I am very lucky that Hashem made it come out right. But Joseph is saying it on a much, much higher level. He really could have said that. He's saying, this is all part of God's plan and it wasn't your fault. And that's uh, to me, that's like a very, very high level because you could have looked at it the other way that Hashem protected me despite what you intended to do. That's right. He does do that. And he does it later even more so. He says at the very end of chapter 50, you thought to do evil. But but God thought good. In other words, you're part of some, it's a kind of view of history that's very striking. It's sort of deterministic. In other words, it's going to happen. And therefore, he takes away their blame. He takes away their blame. He takes away their blame. However, very high, very high level. He does, he does take away their blame. But he, on the other hand, he does make the point that you thought to do evil. You didn't do evil. That's what he says. Right. It's very, I, I find it interesting. Here's the point if someone says, Look, I know you meant, you meant bad, but it all turned out for the best. You know, I remember I was talking about this recently. And someone said to me, it was in Israel recently, I, and uh, you know, and I were talking about this, is this let the brothers off the hook? And I, I commented, there is a Gemara, there's a parasha in the Chumash about a woman or a girl who takes a vow, takes a neder. In the Chumash, the father or the husband, on the day that he, he hears the, about the, the, the vow, can, can actually annul the vow, called hafarat nedarim. It's the beginning of Parashat Mato. It says, if in fact, and the Torah says, if he um, knows the vow, <coughs> then Hashem Yisrachra, then God will, will forgive her for the non-fulfillment of the vow, because the father has prevented her from fulfilling the vow. God will forgive her. So the Gemara has a problem. What do you mean God will forgive her? Why does she need forgiveness? Now, I have something to say about that, but let me tell you what the Gemara says about it. Rabbi Akiva says the case is talking about the following. The case is talking about a woman who took a vow. And the father or the husband heard about the vow. On, and the day that he hears about it, he, uh, he uh, annulled the vow. So the vow doesn't exist anymore, but she doesn't know this. 
she had, she doesn't know that the vow was annulled, and then she breaks the vow. Says Rabbi Akiva, Bashem God will forgive her, but there was no vow. That's true, but she didn't know it. And Rabbi Akiva says, and if, and if someone who did nothing wrong actually thought she was doing wrong requires forgiveness, how much more so the one who actually does wrong? But Rabbi Akiva's position is very interesting. I don't think it's the Pshat and the Chumash, it doesn't matter. He's making a different point that if someone intends to do evil, even though they did no evil whatsoever, they still require forgiveness. That would seem to run counter to, uh, to, to uh, what Yosef is saying, because what Yosef seems to be saying is, in point of fact, it was all good. Yes, you thought to do evil. And I would say that objectively speaking, selling your, or causing your brother's sale or attempting to kill your brother in the, in the eyes of the Torah is certainly a very bad thing. So what Joseph is saying is not so simple. And here's the point I wanted to make about it. And we'll get to this when, when we get to the end of the book, whenever that will be. That is that we have to remember that Joseph and the brothers at the end of the day, and Joseph speaks to his brothers at the end of the book, take me, take my bones back to bury me together with you, we'll reunite after my, all that. Important fact, one can make a very strong case and we will make the case that, the, that Joseph and the brothers, there always remains tension between them. Point of fact, the people of Israel are divided the, the, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. You have Yehuda and you have Ephraim in the, in the North or Joseph in the North. So the fact of the matter is the tensions are never fully allayed and the brothers don't trust him. At the very end, they still think after everything, he's gonna kill them. So the point is when you hear someone say to you, I know you, you meant bad, but God, uh, but, but, but it's, all, it's, it's all for the best. That was God's plan. I know about, about you, but for me, <laughs> I, would, I, I would hear that a little differently. I would say that, you know, okay, it's part of God's plan, but he still thinks I did bad. In other words, I mean, in point of fact, there is that tension that always exists and we'll, we'll deal with this later. So, but you're right. That's what Joseph is saying. Joseph is saying that he's operating on a different plane over here. He's saying, well, what you did doesn't really matter, he says. All that matters is the plan of God and we're all part of God's plan. Um, I was thinking about this just as a side point, you know, the, uh, just after Purim, thinking about Purim for a long time. And the, one of the uh, shiurim I gave on Purim, uh, and it's in the book also, is that a different way to read the Megillah. That one, I claim you can read the Megillah that God is not just secondary or hidden, but God is actually at the center. That the entire Megillah is really a war of God against Amalek. And the, the people in the story are, are, are God's pawns. To God's pawns to set up the battle to destroy Amalek. And I was thinking about that. Actually, the more I think about it, and I'm more and more convinced that's a very good reading of the Megillah. We'll leave that for now. I'm not gonna go back to that. But I was thinking that actually the strange business of drinking on Purim until you don't know the difference between Mordechai and Haman. Adloyada, Adloyada between Haman and Mordechai. What does that mean? I mean, it could mean that even, the, even this obvious difference, you're so drunk, you can't tell black and white, but you can't tell black from white. That's how drunk you are. That's one way to read it. But I was thinking that from another perspective, maybe it means something else, that at the end of the day, it's not Mordechai and Haman that actually matter. God has a plan and it's going to, God's plan is going to happen one way or the other. That in a certain sense, everybody is part of this divine plan. And that I think is what Yosef is basically saying to them. 
God has a plan. That's the idea of the nausea. I'm part of, I, have a, I have a mission. Like God sent me on God's mission. And that's going to happen one way or the other. So it's, a, it's a, just a different way to see the world. But I think that question that you're raising is a pretty basic question. It comes up in many contexts. I mentioned Rabbi Akiva specifically because there you see exactly the opposite. There's someone who did nothing wrong. The vow doesn't exist anymore. And yet Rabbi Akiva says, Vashem Yislacho, she still requires atonement. All right. Let me, uh, we still have some more time here. So let me, uh, 20 minutes, let me uh, finish up the speech of Joseph, unless someone else has a comment. And then we'll, otherwise, we'll finish Yosef's speech over here. Yeah, I think Laszlo has a question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's a comment. Uh, it yep. Also, the, this part of the speech also shows uh, Joseph's ambivalence because at the same time that he is trying to get his brothers to come closer to him, he also points out the uh, enormous uh, gap between them. And he points to his, his, I am greater than you are, I'm greater than anybody. And uh, that doesn't bring people closer to you. That's why they tried to kill him in the first place, actually. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, that's, that's the point. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's a speech like that, and, and my point I was making, that is certainly true, but I was adding in addition to that, I don't think he's right. I mean, I think the, maybe at the very end, we'll get, if we get the very end, he comes to a different understanding. He's certainly right about a mission, but I don't think he yet understands the nature of the mission. He thinks the mission is wholly to benefit people, to enable them to live, and all that. And uh, on the other hand, one can, uh, one can see the mission is very different, which Joseph will see it. Namely, the mission was to bring you down to Egypt to begin the covenantal uh, mm. agreement, which involves slavery, involves persecution, mm. and involves being a stranger, et cetera, gay with Abdut and Inui, and that Joseph, in a certain sense, is the first slave. That's what Joseph comes to realize at the very mm -hmm. end of his life. He's not there mm. yet. At this point, he's, his intentions are to, are to try to smooth things over, but as we all see, when you speak in this way, it doesn't necessarily work, and, I would add in contrast to Judah. Judah says, take me as a slave. Judah says, I have nothing to say. We have no way to justify ourselves. That's why he said, Banistadak. There are no words. He doesn't try to defend anything. And then he says, okay, I'm responsible. I took responsibility. My father is this way and that's the way he is. For better or worse, that's who he is. And we are responsible and I am responsible to Avi. And therefore, take me as a slave. One might say that the slave becomes the king. It's at that moment that Joseph breaks down. And Joseph says, okay, the, the, in a fight, it says the fighting over Benjamin. And, and Judah, Judah versus Joseph. Joseph wants to keep Benjamin. And Judah wants to send Benjamin back. At the end of the day, Judah wins. Judah breaks Joseph down. But the striking difference in the one who says, I'm the greatest, Adon, Moshe, Av, and the other guy who says, Take me as an Evan, because I don't want to see other people suffering. That's the contrast is very striking. Two long speeches. Mm -hmm. Now let's continue. Now we have verse number nine. Now he continues. He says, hurry up, Maharu, hurry, Aru go up to my father. Ko Amar bin Samani Altamod. 
So this is a verse that I don't know about you, but I find it a little bit problematic. Hurry up and go up to my father and tell him. Ko Amar bin Yosef, thus says your son Joseph. God has made me a ruler over Egypt. Come down to me, Altamod. Do not delay. No delay. And I would make a couple of points about this verse. First of all, um, I would say if I were Jacob, or maybe Jacob won't say this, maybe he's thinking this, maybe the brother think is, what's the rush? You've waited 20 some odd years. Hello? Suddenly there's a big rush. Right? That's number one. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly he has to be rushed. Maru. Now there's a way to answer that as well, but let's let's raise the question at least. Number two, I'll tell you what bothers me in this verse more than anything else, is Ko Amar bin Thus says your son Joseph. Ko Amar. Ko Amar is an expression that we have throughout the Bible. It's one that found is found often in uh, in the prophetic writings. Ko Amar in Chumash. Ko Amar Hashem. Thus says the Lord. Ko Amar, they have to, haven't checked all the Ko Amars. Most of them are statements made in God's name, proclamations made in God's name. Ko Amar bin Yosef. Thus says your son Joseph. God has made me a master over Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay, do not stand still, do not stop. And to me, it's very pompous. What? It's very pompous. It's extremely pompous, and he's talking to his father, no less. He's not talking to anybody, not to his brothers. He's talking to Yaakov Avino here. What, what is this? You know, he strikes me as somebody, I hate to say it, but somebody's very, quite full of himself. And come down without delay. His father's been sitting in mourning for 20 some odd years, you know? Maybe waiting for some contact, maybe hoping something will turn up, doesn't know anything. And suddenly we get it's the Ko'amar and it's the Maharu. It's suddenly, suddenly he's in a rush. But you're in a rush all of a sudden, that's very nice. So Ra- Rabbi, yes. Rabbi, I don't know that his father's been in mourning for 20 years and I, certainly Joseph doesn't know that because he's had no contact. I think the story has a different perspective. But we do know I mean, he's Joseph in mourning. Comes to, Joseph, Jacob said, I'm in mourning to the grave. J- Jacob says, Joseph, I'm in- Joseph has had no contact. He didn't contact them until his brothers showed up. The name of his children indicate that he had no contact. He, yes, he has no contact. These, that is true. Yes, yeah. and no contact. So, so he has no idea whether his father was part of the conspiracy to get rid of him or not until his brothers show up. I think oh, I don't believe that. Confrontation I, I don't think with that's his true. brother. That is the, no, 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 no. That's some people have said such a thing. That's simply a misreading of the Chumash. Yo, Benun suggests such a thing. That's not possible. He knows his father's not part of the conspiracy. That is nonsense, actually. I know Yo says that. That's not simply wrong. He doesn't think he's part of the conspiracy. You could say something else. He, he Jacob does set it up in effect, but no, there's no sense that he doesn't, he's concerned about his father. He said several times, he's very worried about his father. He knows his father loved him, his father favored him. It's true what you say that Jacob in effect had set it up. But my point is at the end of the day, he's expressed concern about his father. There's no question about that. And, he, and we, we know that Jacob is There was, there was another point that I was going Go to ahead. make is that 
Joseph has come to a realization that God's plan has him as an integral part. And I think it begins when he's in the pit and when he's confronted with Potiphar's wife. Because when he does the dream interpretations for the Pharaoh, he says, it's not me interpreting them. It's God's words coming through me. So yeah, there's a humility at that point. I don't think that he's pompous. I think he's sending a message to his father. Look how proud you can be of me now that you know that I'm alive. I don't, I don't see the pomposity in that statement. Oh, I, I, I've seen in terms of he's ordering his father, hurry up, dad, and get down here. I'm great. You can, yes, he is concerned about his father. There's no question about it. You see this earlier as well, how he describes this. And there's no need for all this. He, the, the, the verse is totally superfluous. Tell my father I'm alive and I, I would love to see him. But the point is that the very, I would say two things. First of all, there's no need for the long speech. It, 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 the same thing with Mrs. Potiphar. He said no, and now he explains it very nicely. But the fact of the matter is she hears it very differently, which is why she actually propositions him every single day. She doesn't stop. She's not hearing a no. She's hearing, she says, he's, he's mocking me, he's taunting me. And I think when people speak, they have to understand how they're being heard. But I think, yes, when you look at the speech of Yehuda versus Yosef, there is something about you. There's a reason people don't like him, okay? Let's not forget that. They don't like him. They don't trust him. And there's a reason for it. And this, this psukim tell you everything about it. On one hand, he says, I forgive you. But on the other hand, he uh, he's, has to talk about his how important he is. And it's really superfluous. And the koamar bothers me as well. He's talking to his father. There has to be some, there's a lack of humility over here. Now, when you say that God did it and not me, yes, you can read that way. On the other hand, when, when people, and he says to the, the Saramashkim, listen, interpretations of dreams are God's province. Tell your dream to me. What he's saying is what Paro says to Joseph. God speaks through you, which happens to be the truth. It is the truth. But I wouldn't necessarily call that humility. I mean, I would say that, yes, it's not me. And but God, but I, but I know I know what God is thinking. And it will turn out at the end of the day, as I mentioned before, he doesn't exactly know what God is thinking. He knows some of what God is thinking. But the real reason that the brothers are in Mitzrayim, Joseph doesn't know yet. He, he will know it at the very end of this book, namely to enslave the Jewish people as part of a covenantal promise. That's what happens over here. So yes, the feeding them, all that business is true, but that's not the real deep reason, as we will see, but we'll get there. Uh, but again, Chumash can be, you can read this verse, that's what's interesting about the story in different ways. But to me, there's something about Yosef, which is problematic in this speech and the Potiphar speech as well. Uh, Okay, let's continue now with, we have a few minutes, so let's continue with, with the next puzzle. Why don't finish the speech? It says, now he continues. Here he talks about Eretz Goshen. This is what they should tell their father. And you will be near me. You will dwell in Goshen. I call Goshen the land of Vayigash, the land of closeness. You will be... Send the message to my father. This is what Joseph is saying. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all that is yours. That's Pasuk Yud, Pasuk Yud, fine. And then let's wait one more Pasuk. Next one, 11. And I will, I will provide for you there. 
That's the next thing. So he sends a message to Yaakov, to his father, come down right away. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide food for you, you, your family, etc., and all that you possess, which is very lovely. And yes, Joseph feels responsible for the family. Very good. There is one thing over here, though, that is curious, and the Chumash will pick up with it later. And Joseph says, tell my father to come down to Mitzrayim I'm going to protect you, gonna, gonna take, gonna, gonna provide for you, not just for you, in verse number 10, for you and for your children and for your grandchildren and for your flocks and all that you possess. And here, there is an opening for problems, which will happen later on. After Jacob dies, you remember the very end of the book, the brothers say to each other, our father has died, and now Joseph is going to repay us for all the evil that we did to him. That's chapter 50. So they go to Joseph. First, they send a message to Joseph. Your father said before he died to forgive them. And then they come to Joseph in chapter 50. They fall in front of Joseph. They say, we will be your slaves. We will be your slaves. And the question that can be asked, and we'll get there hopefully someday in the last chapter, why do they think that the moment Jacob dies that Joseph's going to take revenge and, and basically kill them. They think Joseph plans to kill them. That's why they go in front of Joseph and they say, take us as your slaves. There again, you have the killing versus slavery. But after jo Jacob dies, the brothers believe that Joseph is going to kill them. That's what they believe. That's pretty explicit in the Chumash. And there's a reason they believe it. And I'll tell you the reason they believe it. The reason they believe it is actually verse number 10 that we just read. Send the message to my father. Come down to Egypt. You could, I'm going to take care of you, you and your children and your grandchildren and all that you possess. The children of Jacob are standing in front of Joseph right now. What do you mean, tell, tell our father I'm going to help you and his children? So that what they're hearing is, he's never going to do anything. He's not going to harm us because of Jacob. Is the father still alive? Is Joseph's first words. If the father's still alive after me, that's how they're hearing it. You can argue all you want, but that's how they hear it. And the, as long as Jacob is alive, they're safe. And it reminds me, but the moment Jacob dies, he never made a promise to them. He made a promise to Jacob and his children and his grandchildren, his possessions. What if there is no Jacob? What if Yaakov has died? And it reminds me very much, and we'll come back to this later, what we... Remember, in terms of Esav and Yaakov, after Yaakov took the blessings of Esav, what did Esav say? Yikrivu yimei evil avi, vargad Yaakov achi. After my father dies, the days of my, the morning of my father, when they come, I will kill my brother Jacob. And that's exactly what the brothers suspect Joseph of. No, I'm not saying Joseph intends this. I'm not saying that. He does not intend to harm them. No question. But the way he frames it over here, Tell our father, my father, he says, by the way, tell my father to rush down here. I'm going to take care of him and his children, grandchildren, etc. The Hilkalti Otcha, singular, in verse number 11, I would provide for you. And therefore, I don't want your household to, 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 to want. What they hear later on is it was a commitment to Yaakov. 
the man that he's concerned about. How is my father? Very concerned about Yaakov. Loves Yaakov. Of course, does not suspect Yaakov is part of anything. Loves Yaakov. But they never committed directly to them. That's what they think over here. So the speech is interesting. We'll pick up with this later on. Let's just finish the speech. Then he continues. And you, your own eyes can see. And my brother Benjamin's eyes, here he distinguishes Benjamin from the others, that I, in fact, I'm speaking to you. I would say, certainly, the way Joseph speaks now is the way they remember Joseph from early on. The dreams, the sun, moon, star, bowing down, etc. And now we have the last verse. Tell my father about all my high status in Egypt. Tell my father all of my kvodi, my high station, or the honor that I have in Egypt. Tell him all you have seen. Hurry up. Now we have mihartem. In verse number nine, began with maharu, umihartem. Hurry up, rush, and bring my father down here. So Joseph's speech ends with avi, and Judah's speech ends with avi. And what a difference between the speech of Joseph and the speech of Judah. So this, I think, what I love about the speech over here is how at the very same time, this is the greatness of the Chumash. At the very same time, you have Joseph being magnanimous towards his brothers. They did try to kill him. And he's, he's, he, is, he is forgiving. There's no question. He's forgiving. He's going to take care of them. He's going to protect them, etc. Care for them. Um, again, there was a question as to Joseph is as a kind of internal turmoil. Should he tell the, should he reveal his identity? Should he not? At the end of the day, the peace of Joseph that wants to reunite with his brothers. There's no question. Having said all that, is the other side of Joseph, which is his own sense of self. And whether it's justified or not is a separate question. But the sense of I am the most powerful, I'm the Av, I'm the Adon, I'm the Mosheo. The last verse, tell my father Kvodi, all of my Kavod, etc. And on top of all that. Koamar to his father. And on top of all that, the commitment that he makes essentially is to his father. He's not committing primarily to the brothers. Uh, he's, going, he, he's going to keep them all alive, but it becomes very clear, beginning in the ninth pasuk, that he sees fundamentally the obligation to, to the old father, Avi. Maru Valu Avi. And Tell my father, he got it at When you read it in context of Judah's speech, it's quite different. Judah is concerned about the father's welfare, and he says, Take me as a slave. I'm, I'm, I'll be an avid. And Joseph is quite the opposite. And of course, the irony is that at the end of the day, the, the leading brother, king, actually, is not Joseph. At the end of the day, Judah becomes the king. It's the one who, it's the one who's willing to be the slave who becomes the melech, actually. And Joseph, with all his amazing talents, and Joseph is, of course, absolutely necessary to be included in the family. That's critical. And that's when Jacob comes down to Egypt. That's Jacob's main task, to find a way to include 
Jacob's, Joseph and the family. That's Yaakov's role. Joseph is incredibly important for the family with all his talents. And he comes to a different understanding at the end of his life. But what I like about the speech, it's what I love about the Chumash, which is it's, it's complicated. People are complicated. It's never black and white. And the brothers are hearing the speech and they're also hearing something else, which of course is true, which is that in the course of what's happened, he favors Binyamin over the other brothers. That is certainly the case. And um, he says, he's about, he's about to favor them, demonstrate his favoritism even more. We'll pick up with this next week. Um, Okay, so we'll stop at this point. If there are any uh, comments, we have a couple of minutes. And next week we'll continue with the Joseph's revealing himself to the brothers and Jacob hears and Jacob then sets out to go to Mitzrayim. I have uh, a comment. Yes, go ahead. Which, now, which of the tribes that survive to move forward way beyond Joseph's tribe, Judah, Joseph's, Joseph's tribe doesn't survive, Joseph's, but his Judah does. Well, it's certainly the case. Whatever, but none yeah. of us are descended from Joseph. But Well, we, we don't know what happens to the lost, the lost tribes is a good question. Are they really all lost or not? But your, your point is well taken. At the end of the day, it's Yehuda who is primarily represents the Jewish people. I mean, Yehuda and, Yehuda and Levi, Leia's children, Yehuda and Levi are the two main, the two main uh, pillars of the Jewish community after the exile. We, 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 we of course, in our, in our prophetic writings, talk about reunification of Joseph and Judah. And that's, of course, we all pray for the reunification of Joseph and Judah, wherever these tribes may be, are they all really all lost or not or whatever. So who knows? But you're certainly correct in saying that at the end of the day, the kingship comes from Judah, the priesthood comes from Levi, and Joseph with all his talents, you know, and, and the whole northern kingdom, which is most of Israel, is called the kingdom of Joseph, basically, Ephraim. Uh, what happens to them? Are they really all lost or not? You know, maybe not, maybe yes, but hopefully someday we reunited. Joseph and Judah are the, are the two most significant uh, children of Jacob within the narrative, there's no question. And they both are incredibly important and they're both heroic, but they're also extremely different. And each one of course is complicated. There's no such thing as black and white in the Chumash, never. And so we not in the case of Judah and so we not in the case of Joseph, but uh, what makes it a great story. But we have to, we'll continue with the story. We're not finished with it. And Joseph has to come to a different understanding, which he will come to a different understanding by the time this book is, is concluded. Um, okay, so we'll stop at this point and we'll hopefully continue next week with the pickup again. Joseph continues to speak and then we have Yaakov's response and the great chapter 46. I hope we get there next week. If not, we'll get there in the last session. Thank Please. you once again. Can Anybody who send me emails, dsilberatresha.org. You always send me that question. I understand the clock was moved. That's why. Yeah. I Oh, I wasn't aware of it. Such a pity. Oh, yes. Oh, I thought it was sent out a notice. Yeah, we moved the clock. Yeah, no. Sorry about we that. Did, yeah. We did not move the clock. Yeah, yeah. Israel, Israel didn't move. It's always six hour difference now. Yeah. Next two weeks is always six hours difference. Yeah. 
Sorry okay. about that. Um, all right, then. Hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Silva, and thank you, everyone, for your amazing comments and questions. I mean, at the end of the class, there was such an amazing flurry of question, uh, comments, interesting comments in the chat. So it's amazing, everyone. Um, just some announcements before we go. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Rabbi Dr. Samuel Lieben's Midrash class. No, one um, second, one second, one second. I'm going to teach that class. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, unfortunately due to a uh, a time change and a bit of a mix up and his flight schedule he won't be teaching that class but instead rabbi david silver will be teaching a partial class um at the same time which is 1 p.m on the same zoom link if you're signed up for the midrash class you can just join us uh in that what regular that? zoom link what day is that I'm this is today, today. so norm normally minutes. yeah I'm just normally thinking, i'm just substituting because i again it was the last second glitch I'll okay. just give a class on the parasha. Right. Not, it's not Dr. Levins' class. I mean, he does other things. I, and I'm just going to give a class on the parasha so that people who tune in won't just miss a class. They'll be able to hear something at least. Right. So everyone is welcome to join us for that, whether you normally join Rabbi Dr. Levins' class or not. Um, you can sign up on drisha.org as usual. And next week, we have the Rappaport Family Memorial Lecture, which is um, which is at 12pm. Uh, we're going to be learning uh, wonderful things about the Seder in preparation for Passover. And then Dr. Levin's class will be at 1.30 that week to make time uh, for the Memorial Lecture. Um, for all of these amazing classes and much, much more, you can sign up at drisha.org. And I will see i will see some of you uh out later can, can, can one uh, use uh, david silver's link because i don't have lebenz's link i um it's a different link but oh, if you cool. if you go to drisha.org and sign up for the midrash class you oh, will get okay. that you will get the link for later today okay thank you okay, okay. thank Beautiful. you